millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, hello. Welcome to Full Throttle. September already, would you believe it? Greg Haynes with you and Michael Laverty is with us as well on the line on Skype. We'll be speaking with Michael in a moment and then with Alex Murley as he discusses his debut in Portimao in the World Supersport Championship in a couple of weeks' time. But for now, let's get Michael Laverty on the line. Plenty of chat about BSB racing on the national circuit at Silverstone this weekend and that follows the debacle that was the British Grand Prix not last weekend, but the one before when everything was called off. Michael was there, though, working on the television. He was one of the many thousands of people who had to stand around waiting for a race that would never happen. What did happen? Michael's on the line now. So, Michael, thanks very much for joining us. Sounds like you're out and about. Where are you? <laughs> I'm actually in Liverpool. My, my wife's um, always, well, I've had a weekend off, so she managed to, to drag me away for a little bit of shopping, retail therapy for her. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we can look forward to seeing you with some nice new clothing by the sounds of it at Silverstone this weekend. Yeah, indeed. So talking of Silverstone, Michael, of course, the weekend before last, you were there for what we expected to be the British Grand Prix. First of all, if you could just sum up in a few words, what on earth actually happened? Oh, it was just a, a series of events that led to, uh, you know, it, it's, it, I think it was, a, it was a weird scenario all in all. Had had that accident happened, not happened in qualifying, I believe we would have had some racing on on Sunday. But the this the circumstances were just kind of really uncharacteristic. Really, just the fact that there was a lot of land water in qualifying from a, a huge deluge of rain, and um, and then that aquaplaning for five bikes ended up in the gravel. So everyone was they were paranoid and worried about the, the conditions. I think there was, there was lime water in, in that area and the area approaching the chicane, but the rest of the circuit looked manageable at certain parts in the day. But, um, but yeah, everyone was on alert following the, the big incident and it, and it meant rider safety. Well, it, it always should be paramount. It should be the number one priority, but um, I do feel there was sections of the day when, when the track may have been clear enough, at least to run a Moto3 race. And I don't mean at least as in their, we value their uh, safety any any less. It's that they have a little bit of a narrower tire, so they can cut through standing water a lot better than a than a big fat, uh, you know, two hundred and is it two hundred and ten mil wide the GP tire rear tire. I'm not exactly sure of the numbers, but yeah. So it ended up we sat about all day hoping to get at a race, and I think the organisers worked as best they could with the looking at the forecast and trying to to figure out when the best window was, and it looked like. 2 p.m. was going to work out, and then and then that weather system changed a little bit. It looked like 4 p.m., but in the end, we got we got no action on track and a lot of unsatisfied fans. And um, you know, it's it, it was a it was a weird weird day. I've never I've never been in that scenario before. I've had situations where we've done some racing or done some sighting laps, but to to sit about all day and and talk about the possibility of riding and then not actually anything happened was a it was a strange one for sure. So the question is, what was different this time? Because, yes, a new surface has gone down on the Silverstone Grand Prix circuit over the winter. But if we remember back to September 2017, we had that BSB race with only seven or eight finishers. Silverstone does seem to hold a lot of water at times. And if you look even as far back as 1975, at Stowe Corner, there was a very similar pilot because of aquaplaning in the Formula One Grand Prix. So what's different this time? Why couldn't we race this time? Well, I believe, uh, as you say Silverstone in, in theory does hold more water because it's flat it doesn't have any uh, any real camber to let the water drain off to the side of the track so it's always been an issue even as you say our race last year there was quite a lot of standing water but we dealt with it um, I've raced in the past uh, and in practice sessions had quite a bit of standing water so it is a, a little bit of a nature of the beast but I think just the resurfacing didn't allow or perhaps after the resurfacing the, the undulations came at, at uh, the approach to Stowe and the approach towards the, the club chicane um, so yeah I think there was just there was two real troublesome areas where the water 
would build up in a hurry if if the if the rain continued to fall while the bikes were on track. And as I said, it, I think it was the the Tito Rabat crash from the Saturday was just so fresh in everyone's minds that it it heightened the the whole scenario. So yeah, but yeah, I do believe there were stages in the day when the track was safe enough to run, but. Also, I do think it's something that Silverstone Circuit need to address now. You know, I don't know the steps they need to take, whether they need to add a little bit more tarmac now to make, to increase the camber in those areas to, to allow for drainage. Because I do believe that um, the rest of the track looked, it looked okay. Okay, water did lie on the surface, but not that two inches of, of rain that, you, you know, you can't, the water, the tyres can't deal with it because of the aquaplane. And so that's the, that is the worry, you know, the, dealing with wet weather conditions is something we do and uh, we have no issue doing but it's when when you lose control of your bike when when that the tires kind of float above the surface so you've no longer got tire contact with tarmac you've got a layer of water in between and at that point you can't decelerate you can't control your bike so you're a passenger and you, uh, and as we've seen when alex rins had to jump off on the saturday uh free practice four that's yeah it's, it's not a scenario that anyone wants so yeah, I'm no, I'm no expert on it, but it, you know everything I've read from the experts from um, Jarno Cefeli, it sounds like there, there, there were steps that could have been taken to to avoid that. I, you know, and, and it seemed to be there was a lot of complaints from the riders in the dry about extra bumps. You know, even speaking to to Cal and to Taz McKenzie who tested early in the year, so April time, and then went back again now in, in August and the the amount of additional bumps is, is huge they said it was like a billiard table initially and then the bumps come into it so something's happened the, the asphalt while it's been settling whether I know Silverstone's a busy circuit it's used every day but there's there's been something missed in the process you know I believe I agree Get in. Industries are a huge company, know what they're doing, but perhaps there was there wasn't someone advising with that technical knowledge of how a, how a race track settles. Because like everything, obviously you have to take the weather into consideration. We had an incredibly cold uh, winter in February, March after the tarmac had been laid, and then an unusually hot summer. So perhaps there was something missed. We don't know until we receive the results of Silverstone's investigation. But you know, I was really sympathetic towards the the circuit. The Silverstone people had went over and above you know the MotoGP guys just asked for certain areas to be smoothed out and they they really committed to the you know a huge expense to to relay the whole surface and it's ended up you know been a a, a huge um well i wouldn't say a huge failure but it has had had massive repercussions that need to be addressed now so yeah they went over and above what was required and it, it, it can come back to slap them in the face so yeah i'm very sympathetic towards them they are they do a lot for racing and they're really quite um quite keen to for the two-wheel world everyone sees it as a four-wheel circuit but they really are quite um, sympathetic towards her uh, requests and um yeah i hope they, they can figure it all out really sooner rather than later yeah i couldn't help but feel sorry as well for Stuart pringle and all of the silverstone team let's not forget when that new section was put in in 2009-10 it was actually chiefly for the bikes wasn't it not just for formula one uh was it a knee-jerk reaction, though, do you think, Michael? I know you made a bit of a reference to that before with the Tito Rabat incident. I guess if you're in Dorna's shoes, though, or the FIM shoes, having had a very nasty accident on Saturday, and we were very fortunate he wasn't more seriously injured, had they gone ahead and raced and something even worse had happened, it wouldn't have looked very good, would it? Yeah, definitely. I think um, Matt Oxley wrote a piece after the, on the, I think it was the Monday or Tuesday, he published it, and it, it just summed up the... You know, kind of the thought process that all the writers have now, and, and it's um, it, it, without the majority, nobody's going to race, and they don't want to. The organisers now, Erda and the race direction, and and the, you know, they they don't they don't force the writers to go out. So if um, if certain writers like we knew Scott Redding, Joanne Zarco, um, there was one more. I think we're uh, Petrucci. There was Jack, Jack Miller. Miller. Actually, they were yeah. really they were really keen to write. So if if the organisers had a said right. You know we're gonna go. Then the rest of the guys would have felt pressure. They, 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 you know, they needed to ride. So then, when everyone's on track and and more than half the field aren't happy with the conditions, and then something happens, as we've seen in the in the past, whenever um, safety wasn't the the first priority, and uh, you know if if something had have happened then, and you know having seen what happened on the Saturday, we, it would have been a whole different scenario where we were talking about potential, um, you know, putting putting the riders' lives at risk. So, you know. There is a there's an inherent danger in racing MotoGP bikes at close to 220 miles an hour, and, and if there's 
an increase to that danger that we that we can't control. Then I guess it's it's good that that race direction made that decision and and did did think with their you know with their riders in mind. So I, I do believe it was the right decision in some ways, but I'm also on the fan side. You know, I, I really felt for them sitting in the cold all day long in rain, hoping to see some action and and to not have any bikes on track, you know, even sighting laps, even a 20-minute practice to, to, to see and hear the GP bikes, just to see that the effort was made from everybody, you know, that would have been nice, some some kind of interaction with the fans who were, who had paid their money and, and sat and waited all day in, in the hope. And, um, you know, even the marshals and the medics and the security and everyone who, who stood out in the cold, we were broadcasting live, but for the majority of the time we were undercover. And then when it got so cold, we went into a studio. And at that time, I, I was we, we made a makeshift studio in the Silverstone offices. And I was thinking of all the, the fans who were actually under the rain with no no cover and getting cold, getting wet. And and then it was a bit of a slap in the face to them to see nothing and, and be sent home at four o'clock in, in the day. So, yes, things... You can, you'll never do anything per, everything perfect to please everybody, but it was just a, a series of events that, that really didn't work out how anyone wanted. I can't help agreeing with you there, though, about the fans, because at the end of the day, they've all paid. They've made trips to Silverstone down the motorway. Some of them have even flown in from different countries for this Grand Prix. Might be the only Grand Prix they go to in the whole year. Let's hope they get refunded. That's the first thing. But I can't help feeling that some sort of skeletal structure could have been put in place for a Monday race, don't you think? I know in Qatar, when that happened in 2009, the leader of Qatar as a nation basically said, look, this race is going ahead. I'll pay for it myself. And that's what he did. And some of the staff went home. Some of the team personnel went home, but they got a Grand Prix underway. Of course, there's no spectators in Qatar. It's a TV spectacle. But my point is they got a race, didn't they? Surely they could have done something like that last week. Well, I don't know what the the logistics of it for a start would be a nightmare, but I guess it would have been possible. It would have cost a lot of money. Yeah. And the, the, the main the factory teams of course they can afford it, but the, the smaller teams that would have been a huge a huge undertaking for for them because, you know, there's there's a lot a lot of moving parts to get a the MotoGP circus on the road. So, you know, ferry crossings, flights, hotels, the the Silverstone circuit even finding the staff to run the event, so all the all the security that's required. All, you know, um, I know Stuart Higgs had got the marshals confirmed, and and I believe he had, I can't remember his numbers, but it was a, a huge amount of temporary staff he had already in place should the Monday have been possible. But it was deemed impossible by mainly the factory teams who had that Aragon test booked for for middle of the week. So yeah, I think it would have been the perfect outcome given that the weather was good on the Monday. But um, I'm not. I'm not privy to the to the main decision makers and what what um, what led them to to say no so quick to that. But it, it would have been nice to have to have had that in place. But maybe we'll see something change in the future where teams start to allow for that that possibility of a Monday race. I have to say that that's the most disappointing part, isn't it? I don't know what your opinion is, but for what it's worth, in my opinion, the fact we had a bank holiday on Monday, Silverstone could actually do the race and get the necessary safety people in and marshals involved. The fact it was the teams that didn't want to do it makes it even worse in a way, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, there's no no arguing that. They had um, they had their, their test booked. It would have cost hundreds of thousands of pounds for each team, for sure, to, to change that plan. So I guess there's a financial implication, but... Yeah, for the fans, for for everyone to have a British GP on the Monday would have been perfect. But yeah, that that that, that is the sad side of it that, that that wasn't possible. You know, I know BSB would have made somehow would have either got a race on Sunday or a race on Monday. But I know Stuart Higgs and his team yeah. would have made it happen. So yeah, but we don't have the logistics of of you know all the the freight and everything traveling to to Europe and the flights and everything to consider. So. When it when it's all all in one country, it's a little bit easier, I guess, to to, to adjust it. Such a such a huge program like that. Yeah, I suppose that's a good point. Actually, had it happened on mainland Europe, we might have got a race. But the fact everything's got to be shipped back across to the team's bases is a big part of it, especially with that test coming up. Um, also, I suppose we have to remember, Michael, Silverstone, like many other events, is not government funded, is it? It's all funded by the VRDC, which is a private organisation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and like I said earlier. I'm very sympathetic towards the Silverstone team because you know they they have a fantastic facility there. There's not many rider would argue with it. You know it's one of the best circuits in the world. It's funny it gets a lot of, well, I guess the fans feel a little bit disconnected because it's it's a it's a vast circuit and you can't be a little bit far from the action. But from a rider's point of view, it's fast. It's a lovely circuit to ride, flowing some really brave corners and it makes for great racing. 
and um, like I say, the Silverstone team are, are really good to work with. They they uh, they put on a good show over the weekend. You know, we we broadcasted from the from the campsite on the on Friday night and the atmosphere and, and the, the amount of things that Silverstone Circuit had going on there. It was a fantastic kind of festival atmosphere. So the the event itself is it, it is it is great, and uh, I really hope that, that they can make amends with the tarmac surface and and have the the MotoGP back there in, in 2019 and, and back to its best. So just to be clear from what you heard, is this a problem with the tarmac surface itself, the asphalt surface, or a lack of drainage, or is it both? From my perspective, it's it's possibly due to the new surface. You know, you hear all sorts of rumours throughout the day, but even whenever I've seen new surfaces laid at Sepang and, and even Donington Park, for example, the, the first year of a new surface, the water does not disperse off it. I don't know if if when tarmac settles a little bit, it becomes a little bit more porous and can can deal with it a little better, but I've always noticed that when you when you end up with a new surface in wet conditions, the water does, does sit on top of it, and it's really difficult to see because it stays so black for the first year until the sun really affects it, it's really difficult to see whenever whenever it begins to dry. So new tarmac always has a, has various things to deal with from a rider's point of view. So for me, it's it's the fact that it is a new surface. You know, last year on the old surface, we had a lot of water in the race three at Silverstone last September. And there was certain, because Silverstone before had various different tarmacs, there was certain tarmac that, that the water stayed on and others that it seemed to disperse off. So even though it's a flat circuit all the way around, the same width, there was there was areas that held water and other areas that didn't. So for me, it is a it is a tarmac thing and something that that may improve over time, or it may be that Silverstone go ahead and do some investigation, and the science behind it says that it's the wrong kind of asphalt, or or it is the camber. Or, uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not qualified to to comment with any any degree of certainty. Yeah, I don't know whether there's anything to do with the particularly hot summer we've had as well. I mean, who knows? But uh, where in that BSB race last year, Michael? Where was most of the standing water, from your recollection? Um, I remember on the approach to Stowe, where the where the problem was uh, this time on Hangar Street. It actually wasn't an issue in that area, but as you come up towards the corner, when it where it was actually quite cambered, the water just seemed to pull on the top of the surface there. There was various parts like that um, around the double right at uh, Club and Vale. There was there was a lot of water there. There was various areas, but you could always deal with it. You can see it. It's like a sheet of glass, and you know when you go through it to, to kind of roll the throttle and allow for that wheel spin. But when it happens at speed, like it was happening at the end of the hangar straight, there's not much the rider can do other than really slow down early, but that doesn't happen in racing motorcycles. So it was just... If, if, if that area of the track had been had been fine and there was there was the puddles towards the chicane at slow speed I think the Raiders could have dealt with it but it was just the fastest part of the circuit where the water seemed to gather and um, when we we had we had quite a bit of a bit of water last year that you could actually go through and the bike if it's not too deep the bike just moves and you kind of lose a little bit of control for a brief second but it didn't fully float on top so it was it was manageable but again saying that there was only seven Raiders finished that race so it was quite it was quite um, difficult conditions to deal with to be fair yeah, it's certainly an interesting one and we can't get into it too much because as we say there's an investigation going on I'm sure we'll hear more soon but it was just very unfortunate a lot of people waiting out there do you think one final question again it comes down to opinion did they do the right thing keeping everyone waiting all afternoon with the chance that there could be a race or should they have called it off earlier well they, they were in a no-win situation there because if they'd have called it earlier then yes. the fans would have went home True. complaining that yeah. they, they didn't they didn't go through all the motions and give it a proper time and saying that the weather was going to clear in the afternoon so it was a no-win scenario if they if they called it early then they didn't give it a, enough of, they didn't put enough effort in and the fact that they did call it late then the fans aren't happy because they were kept waiting all day so yeah from from my perspective there was no way to to please everyone in that scenario and i think they had to give it as, as best a shot as they could and just unfortunately the weather system that, that was planned didn't quite make its way through to Silverstone Circuit What was a bit strange though and Colin Edwards mentioned this on the TV it did seem as though once the, and James Toes and you as well for that matter once the weather did seem to be improving around 4 o'clock that's when they pulled it off it does seem a bit strange they didn't have a go then I wonder why <laughs> Yeah that was for, from, from my perspective we were we uh, we were keeping an eye on, on conditions. Obviously, you can't tell the whole way around that circuit because it's quite vast. But it, for a 30-minute period there, it, it really looked like the that was the, the prime conditions we'd seen all day. There hadn't been rain. It looked like the marshals had, had cleared it all off the surface. And 
at the point of the meeting, if the bikes had been on track, we would have seen a race, um, I believe. But at that point, they were in the process of discussing whether to, to call the day off. And unfortunately, it, that, the, rain, it did, the rain did come after they, they had called it off. So it was the right decision. But that 30-minute window, I think there could have been a race happened at that point. Well, it never did, so very unfortunate for everyone. Of course, what we should stress, though, is that nobody involved wanted this to happen, did they? Everyone involved, the circuit, the officials, the FIM, Dawn, the riders, everyone wanted it to happen, but they tried their best and it couldn't happen. Yeah, exactly that. That was It was the outcome that no one wanted. You know, everyone's going home unhappy, not least the fans. Indeed. Well, thanks very much for that, Michael. We'll be back with you in a second and we'll talk about a little bit, a little bit of BSP. Ironically, of course, that's at Silverstone next. Hi, I'm Rachel Stringer and I hope you're enjoying Full Throttle. Don't forget to watch me and the BSB team on Eurosport and the Eurosport Player. So many thanks, Michael. We'll come back to him in a few minutes. But now on the line is another British rider hopeful of success. And it's Alex Murley, who made his debut in the Supersport 300 World Championship, fresh from the European Junior Cup. Prior to that, he raced in Britain on a club level in Bemsey. But from Portimao onwards, Alex, who comes from the West Midlands, my neck of the woods for that matter, is going to be racing in the World Supersport Championship for at least the last four races of this season in Portugal, France, Argentina and Qatar. And he'll be taking the Larini Honda seat alongside Jamie Van Sikoros, previously vacated by Kyle Smith and Alex Baldolini. So let's listen in now then, as one Alex replaces another at Team Larini Honda. So it seems as though your name's got to be Alex, hasn't it, at the moment, Mr Murley, to ride for Team Larini, as you effectively replace Baldolini. It's from one Alex to another, isn't it? How's all this sort of come about? Well, since leaving Team Toft in, in May, uh, we, we parted ways mutually, and uh, it was the right decision for both of us, and we we decided to just keep our name in the door, whatever way we could. So I came to Bruneau to see if there was any opportunity there, and there wasn't. Um, and we decided not to come to Mazzano just just because we felt we've done all we can at the minute. Um, and then, you know, we were informed about this opportunity at Team Larini maybe coming about. And, of course, um, I jumped at that, trying to get my foot in the door whatever way possible. And, and yeah, and... Now we sit here and uh, I'm a world super sport rider, which sounds absolutely crazy in my own head at the minute, but it's fantastic. And uh, I just can't wait to get the, the, get started with it. It's just, it's amazing. It's not something that really happens too often, is it? I think we've only seen yeah. Alfonso Coppola do it so far, go from super sport 300 to the world super sport championship. What about 600s generally? Are they something you like riding? Have you ridden much on a 600? Um, well, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't actually got that much experience on 600. So <laughs> in my life, I think I've done about three days on the 600. Um, wow, okay. I had a small test on one uh, last weekend, which was which was really great. Um, you know, the bike suits me a lot more. Um, I am a taller rider. I'm, yeah. I'm five, five ten and three quarters to be exact. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, that is taller for a rider. So on the little 300, it, you know, it was quite difficult for me with my weight and my height to really, really go on the bike and really be competitive every race weekend. Um, and this year was just such a struggle with it. You know, we really approached the season hard and strong. I lost, I lost quite a bit of weight to be more competitive, but it didn't really happen. Um, so this season didn't work out, but last season was great. We showed potential. And yeah, I'm really excited to be the second rider only to go from World Super Sport 300 to 600. Um, it's not something that's happened often, as you said. Well, it's, <laughs> I'm only the second person. But, yeah, yeah. But it's um, it's a massive change. The big, the biggest thing is the horsepower. You know, it's a hundred horsepower difference, which is monumental. Um, and it's going to take a lot of getting used to. But uh, as as Peter Hickman said to me, it's just a bike with two wheels, and you can <laughs> and you control it with your right hand. So. Yeah, it sounds like classic <laughs> Hickman, doesn't it? That really does. That's yeah. a nice little lie there for Peter. But it's funny, isn't it? Because you've gone in a... I mean, let's not get too excited because it's such an uphill challenge. Mm. However, it is quite nice to think at the same time, I guess. It's not that long ago that you were racing around the British tracks in Bemsey and now you're going to be carried to Argentina, to Qatar. That must be quite exciting. Yeah, but it's, three, it's only three years 
since uh, yeah. since I was in Bemsey. It's been a real rocket ride to where I am at the minute. Um, doing the EJC was a great step into the World Superbike Paddock. Gave me a lot of contacts. 300 last year was was awesome. We had a great season. Um, learning all the time. Second season, starting to get a bit more competitive towards the front in the final races of the year, which was great. This year gave me a valuable lesson again. You know, sometimes things just don't work out. And, mm. you know, the, nothing, it wasn't our fault. It wasn't the team's fault too much. That's that's why we decided to go part mutually. Um, but we, we've learned a lot. I think I'm a very changed person for this, for what's happened this year. It's gave me a lot of, it's grounded me, I think, to be honest, it, which is, which is only a good thing in my eyes. And uh, to have this opportunity now is just, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So how are you, well, it is, I mean, it's, it's great to have another Brit on the grid as well. How are you seeing it, Alex? Is it just sort of four extended test sessions in Portimao, Magnicor, Argentina and Qatar? Or are you looking a bit more than that? That's how I see it. To, to kid yourself and think, oh, yeah, come on, boys, let's go in there and <laughs> top fives, top top tens and wins straight away it's impossible you've yeah. got you've got world champions at the front of the grid people like sandro cortese is the moto three world world champion you know jules cluzel is a moto two race winner and super sport race winner mahias is the reigning world champion you're never going to go into this category and be off from the off be at the front um so i really look at it as just four tests and all I want to do is learn from the guidance I'm going to be given under a great team with a lot of experience. And I just want to suck up all the information I can get and knowledge that I can hopefully carry into next season. And like we say, it's way too early to make any comparisons at all. But if there were going to be any, it would be against your teammate, who's Jamie Van Sikorus, the Dutch rider. Do you know Jamie that well? I know Jamie a bit. Um, it's kind of like a, a mutual connection in a way, just yeah. because he did a European Junior Cup and then I did European Junior Cup, not at the same time. So we, yeah, so, okay, yeah. we sort of know each other, but not really. But I know he's a, I know he's a good rider, a, a nice guy as well. So hopefully I can learn bits off him as well, which will be really important. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. What's the thing you're most looking forward to? Is it Argentina, for example? I mean, that could be interesting, couldn't it? Because nobody's going to have any data going there. No, that's good. <laughs> I think um, I think the most interesting bit of the weekend is going to be the actual journey to get there. I've heard it's yeah, probably. I've heard it's more more than a day of travel, so that's going to be <laughs> a bit ridiculous. Um, well, I mean, jokes aside, though, that is part of the deal, isn't it? Now, because yeah. you know, overcoming jet lag and all that kind of thing is actually a, a serious part of this. Well, the longest the longest flight to a race weekend I've had before this is probably somewhere like Italy for Mazzano. Yeah. It's a few hours. And you don't really. Well, it could get... be could be eight or nine hours if you're with Wellig. Mm, oh well, that is true. Waiting for bags, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's another challenge to overcome. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to the Argentina and Qatar because it's just going to be such a different experience. Um, yeah. But actually, I'm really looking forward to Portugal and Manicor. Portimao is going to be difficult because I know a lot of the Super Sport teams are tested there. Um, in the summer break and I won't have had the opportunity to. So it's real deep end into the deep end at Portimao. But mainly cause a circuit I love. I loved it on the 650. I loved it on the 300. So can't wait to get out there on the 600. But I think I'm looking forward to Qatar the most. Under the lights, that's just going to be... Whoa, give a goosebump moment when yeah, you get you to got, Qatar. Got to be- Got to be careful not to be scared off by your own shadow. We've had that happening before. I, I guess, though, with with the greatest of respect, because the expectation is zero, why would anyone expect anything of you right now coming in mid-season as well with so little experience in 600s? You can just go out there and enjoy it for what it is, can't you? Exactly. We've I've set myself some goals and it's to learn, to improve. And one of them is in, just to enjoy the experience. Mm, you, good idea. You, you never know. I can never... I may not be on the grid next year there. I really hope I am, and we're pushing for that all the way. But I just want to go out and enjoy this. It's a once-in-a-lifetime of these final few rounds. You're never going to get a shot at this like this with no expectation, no pressure, and to just go out there and ride, and that's all I'm going to do. 
Well, real best of luck with that. Just very quickly, though, Alex, before we go, we've got two races to go this year in Supersport 300, which is a class you know very well, of course. Anna Carrasco is narrowly leading Luca Grunwald. What do you think is going to happen over those last two races? I don't know. I, I think you're going to see the resurgence of the Yamaha a bit, to be honest. You know, Team MS with Danny Valle. Well, they've had everyone up on the, um, on the old dyno, haven't they, now, over the last couple of rounds? I think there's a, I think there's a lot more parity in the championship now, which is which is fantastic to see. Um, this year was a difficult year for the organisers, but I think they've done a great job in levelling it out now. You know, with the brand new 400 and the KTM coming in, it's been it's thrown a real curveball into the mix for the Yamahas for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think Team MS are going to do very well towards the end of this year. Because they've got Maria Herrera, Danny Valle, Manu Gonzalez. I think that's a real yeah. strong team. Um, and I think because they're a they're a three four rider team, you know, it's gonna be they're gonna really use tactics to get up there. Because that's all Super Sport three hundred is. It's not about where you are on the first lap or where you are in the penultimate lap. It's where you place yourself on that final lap that counts. Um, because and especially at Portimao, where Slipstream just plays. 100% of the race so um, so I think they're going to be strong I think Carrasco will be strong at Portimao because she won there last year can't forget that yeah um, indeed but I think I think I think Daru's going to be strong Daru's a very good rider um, but I think Carrasco oh, I'm not sure I'm not sure if she's going to hold on to the lead she struggled in the last two rounds a bit more I don't know I think you're going to see Mika Perez be really strong again Mm. After well, he it's, come, it... he's came back. There's so many. There's so many people who can <laughs> do well. So many people. So I'm going to be a wuss and not put a name on it. He stayed on the fence. Well, it's 16 points at the moment for Carrasco over Grunveld. Let's see what happens. Thanks a lot, Alex. Thanks for having me, Greg. I'll, uh, I'll see you in Portugal. <laughs> great stuff. Good luck, Alex Murley, then. And great to have another British representative in the Supersports World Championship, which, of course, joins World Superbikes at each and every one of its rounds, with the sole exception of Laguna Seca, which we had earlier on this season. Right, back to Michael Laverty, then. We've spoken about the British Grand Prix. That never was. What about the next BSB round? And you guessed it. It's happening in Northamptonshire as well. So, Michael, thanks for waiting there. There's a lot going on in the background. It's busy there, isn't it? Yeah, it is indeed. So, it seems ironic, doesn't it, that after everything that's happened recently with the Grand Prix cancellation and everything else, that the next BSB round this weekend is at Silverstone. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? So, um, we're going to be hugely affected by the by the goings-on of the MotoGP event and, and the subsequent cancellations. So, it sounds like um, it's... It was possibly the the organisers' only decision to, to run us in the national circuit. Um, I would have preferred to see it left as a plan B if the weather had it come on, but there's there's a lot obviously to take into consideration, and um, and they've made the decision to run on the on the national circuit, so we can't complain. We will be racing, albeit on the 1.6 mile circuit rather than the 2.6. So, but it's still it's got some fantastic corners on it. Still got the the super fast woodcoat fifth gear wheel spin and turn and and cops, um, but. It will be a little bit more like um, a cross between Brands Indy and, and Knock Hill, you know, a, a sub one, one minute lap. So it's going to make racing closer and quite scrappy. Um, actually, it'll be good for the fans because it brings Silverstone's quite a vast circuit, so it brings everyone close together. Might increase the atmosphere. It's definitely going to increase the, increase the pressure on the on the showdown contenders because the races are going to be going to be hard fought over. I would imagine 30 laps. It's going to be um, it's going to be a hard racing. And um, yes, it's it's going to be completely different. You know, I don't think there's anyone on the grid who's actually rode the national circuit yet. So, okay, it's only really one corner change, but it it changes your approach. Uh, now you're decelerating from a sooner point through through the left kink at, at Maggots, and then accelerating out what through what 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 is the entry, but coming from from the right hand side. So it's um yeah, it's going to be a, a it's going to be interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to it, but I'm I'm slightly disappointed to not get to ride the the Silverstone International Circuit this year because it's one of my favourites. I love it. It is, um, it's one of the best we have in the UK. It's one of the best in the world. And um, unfortunate, just the circumstances and 
and the knock-on effect of that cancellation has meant that it was too big a risk for the BSB organisers to, to try and hold the event on the on the GP international circuit. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And although I agree with you, it would be nice to turn up and see what's best to do if it's dry go on the Grand Prix circuit. You can't just change, you need barriers in place, don't you? And staff working around the other side, which grandstands are open for the fans, parking. There's a lot to take into consideration. It's not just simply changing the circuit layout, is it? No, I, and I know it, it will would have been a, a decision that, that Stuart Higgs and the MCRCB and MSVR have made lately. So um, that's, you know, like I said earlier, I believe Stuart would have got some racing had had we been in, in those conditions last Sunday. He would have uh, looked for that perfect window after the marshals had cleared the track and he'd have got us out there before the water built up. So, you know, in my opinion, either way, if, if it hadn't been for the cancellation last weekend and we'd have turned up and had the GP weather, we'd have still got some racing. So, um, but yeah, it, until the Silverstone circuit complete their investigation and then make some changes to, to rectify the, the, the stand on water, you know, I guess this is this is one decision that makes makes it clear we're going racing next weekend. Mother Nature won't, won't um, intervene, even if it if it does rain. The, that side of the circuit doesn't seem to hold so much water as, as the approach to Stowe and, and the club chicane do. So we'll be racing the the showdown decider of three superbike races, all held on a on a new circuit to us on the national circuit. But um, but yeah, it, it's yeah, that's that's the good thing about BSB. It's dynamic. It can change. It can adjust. And and it, um, there's going to be. Maybe the riders will have a, a little bit of a moan not getting to ride the international circuit, but you know I think we're all all of agreement that it's better to go racing than, than not racing at all. From a spectating point of view, though, I think it's pretty good actually because the fans will see more of the bikes. There'll be a greater number of laps because it's a shorter circuit. There'll be you would perhaps I would imagine more action, or can you sometimes get more of a field spread effect on those shorter tracks? British touring cars is always very close there, for example. Yeah, I think you know I think you're correct. It's going to be a 30-lap race rather than a 14-lap race, so the the people in the grandstand get to see you pass more than double. The, exactly. The times, yeah. But so you get you get an extra. The fans will will be closer to the action, so it, I guess it does increase their the, the viewing uh, pleasure for for those guys. But you did touch on a point there. Sometimes those small tracks where you know one tenth can decide decide the you know the whole top ten of the grid, though that one tenth can can actually lead it to to being quite a stretched out. Um, race because there's only five corners and if, if someone has got one of those corners really dialed perfectly and, and they're they're gaining a little bit there every lap then they can actually stretch a bigger advantage than say a longer circuit where there's more corners that, that may work to one rider's strengths or what their bike strengths so you know there's more opportunities to make make back on your weaker areas so that that I've seen that quite a few times you know it, it happened to me this year at Knock Hill where I was actually as fast as anyone um, from the, after the first 16 seconds of the lap, the rest of the lap, I was I was as quick as everyone. I was actually the fastest um, in the last sector, but because I was losing a little bit through the first right left section, I couldn't I couldn't uh, fight for the win because there wasn't enough of a lap to, to make back for for that one week area, and you had to pass it 30 times. So it, it can it can be a funny thing. So although it's close and it, in theory it should all be packed together, without having raced in this national circuit, I can't say for sure, but. Sometimes it can it can work that way. So have you never raced on the national circuit, Michael, in any championship? No, it was it, the old national circuit used to used to be different. So you went where where you turn uh, right now and go straight down the Wellington Strait. We used to turn left and and go down and to a hairpin at the end of that and come back up and under the bridge. Ah, uh, yeah, the that's what Street. was known so, as the international circuit. You had the, the island chicane, didn't you, which was then taken out yeah. uh, down to the hairpin. Yeah. Of course, that's all been changed now, hasn't it, with the with the changes? Yeah, when, when the new uh, international section, um, the new complex was all made, that, that section track disappeared. So I've never actually just turned right at, at, at Maggots and, and went all the way down to Wellington Street, um, even on a track day. I've done the other half on the Ron Haslam race school where um, you come through and go straight down the hangar strip but I've never done that that shorter section so um, yeah I, my best guess would it be, be about a maybe a 52-53 second lap but that's you know that's only only just pulling numbers out of the air but I think it's going to be a short short and fast lap it's going to actually really suit the the Yamahas and the Ducatis which is a little bit frustrating because of the nature of the corners they're all kind of long flowing corners so it, it really lends itself to the 
how those bikes produce their power and how they keep their tire. So uh, you know, and it's going to be it'll be interesting to see if um, if there's high tire wear as well because it's mostly right handers. You've only really got the the left at Brooklands and the, and the left kink approaching maggots, which will not be on the fully on the left side of the tire. So I think there's going to be high tire wear on the right hand side, and yeah, that generally favours the Ducatis. They they wear the tire slightly better, so it's it's going to add a new dynamic for sure. And um, it's um, I I think it's going to increase the pressure on the on the showdown contenders. Although I am one of them, I'm only really a mathematical chance that um, it's it's quite unlikely unless I was in a fortunate position where I could go win races at the weekend and, and Christian Buchan and, and Hickman all had, had pretty pretty average results, then I, I could still pull it out. But um, it is it is an outside chance, to be honest. But um, yeah, never say never. I've, I've won at Silverstone a few times in the past. I've, I've been on the podium there on every single bike I've rode on the, on the full circuit, you know, on the, on the Suzuki, on the BMW, on the Yamaha. Um, so yeah, looking forward to, to going there, albeit on the shorter, shorter layout, and uh, and and go there fighting for podium finishes, and then maybe just maybe if things go my way, I could be in with a, a chance of, of pulling that that showdown spot out of the bag. Does that leave you in quite a comfortable position though, knowing you're 34 points behind the target man who's Peter Hickman? Yes, you need other things to happen, but you've got nothing to lose, have you? Exactly that. I've, I've got no pressure on me because I'm I'm probably the last one in with a chance of of making that showdown spot and uh, I can go there and just concentrate on good race results which we need you know I've only had one podium for the Tyco BMW squad all year and that was at the Brands Indy circuit so we could do with standing on the podium a little bit so I go and concentrate on getting good results for myself and for the team and um, yeah maybe it works out that, that, that come Sunday evening I'm the one in that, that last sixth position you know I've been on the opposite end of it I arrived at the last round at Open Park in 2016 I had been fourth position for I can't remember, maybe four or five rounds prior to it. And just on the last race, on the last day of the season, I dropped out of that, that top six and only missed it by a few points, having kind of cracked under the pressure, if you like. I changed the motorbike a little bit in morning warm-up. And then in the first race of the day, the bike was a little bit low and I clipped the curb on the very last lap in a position that would have seen me through to the showdown. So it's, you know, it's never over until it's over. You have to you have to deal with all these circumstances. So, you know, Peter's going to be under pressure and... Um, some, anything could happen. It's 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 motorbike racing as we've I've seen a few times this year. BSB is so close and it's hard to make your way through the pack if you don't qualify well. So I've been taken down on in the early laps of uh, of races and on a couple of, of occasions this year, both at Snedert and then at Thruxton. You know, in race one after having had a had a clean first few corners, someone else has made a mistake and taken me down. So you know, I've been unlucky. Otherwise, I'd be in a better position points wise. But you know. Who's to say that couldn't that bad luck couldn't befall one of my competitors? Not that I wish bad luck on any of them, but the circumstances in BSB are that there's there's 10 to 15 strong riders that if things click for them on the day, they'll be in the mix. And, and we've got some young guys in there really trying to make a name for themselves who sometimes get, get in with a little bit over-exuberant. And um, yeah, these things happen in racing. So... So yeah, it's it's um it's a nice position to be going in to be going to a circuit that I know my, the BMW really works around. I enjoy riding around and um and I can go there with with very little pressure and just look uh, concentrate on getting the podium podium finishes and then hope that we pull something out of the bag in regards to to the showdown spot. To an extent, everyone's learning a new track though, aren't they? Because there'll be no data for this particular layout. Nobody really knows the little tricks of the trade of breaking points and references, markers, that sort of thing. So we might get a few surprises. Yeah, it's going to change even from the simple things like like the gear. And so generally, if the the hangar straights, the fastest parts, so you had a gear for your sixth gear mm. there. So now now the fastest part's going to be the approach towards maggots, um, and probably across the start finish line at a similar speed in fifth gear. So you might you might have to adjust that. I think we're getting ten minutes longer per practice session to allow us to adjust to that new layout because none of the guys have ever rode it. So it's going to require a slightly different setup um, where you're. Sometimes on racetracks you have to compromise your setup a little bit for the tighter, twistier, like the the chicane at club, the the loop, and um, that that tighter uh, complex section. You you need an agile bike and, and change the direction through maggots and beckets. That's all gone. That's all fast open corners. So so the the setup, your Silverstone setup that you've got in the bank from from the last previous few seasons is is getting going to get refined now. Whenever we turn up on on Friday and Saturday, so. It's not going to be the usual um, Silverstone complex right at the very top because it's going to be a completely different character, a different racetrack. And uh, I think it's going to be a nice one. It's going to be a, a fun track to ride around. 
but um, but like you say, it's gonna it's gonna be who can who can adapt the quickest and the best over over Friday and Saturday practice. Now, bearing in mind a rubbish result in race one can really mess up your grid position for race two, and that you were wiped out not through your own fault, of course. It's Snetterton on the first lap in race one, and again at Thruxton. Are you going to have to adjust your style? I mean, is there any element to that in race one this weekend? Well, you know that that's something I pride myself on. I'm, I've always been very good at finding the gaps in a safe manner and not hitting anyone. Yeah. You know, that that day at Thruxton, for example, I was I messed up and missed the the end of Q1 and didn't get through, so I was 21st on the grid. But at the end of lap one, I was through to ninth, and that wasn't from doing anything stupid. It was just um, having good peripheral vision, picking the spots that were safe to dive through, and it's something I've always been good at. But then the younger riders sometimes do it with an air of desperation and they just stick it in there with no outlook of how the bikes and the other riders are going to end up. So I've, I can't, you can't not, you know, it's almost, um, you have to pass or be passed. So if you, if you try and be too cautious, someone's going to dive bomb you. So you have to, you can't really change that, that, um, that way of going racing. You gotta, you gotta stick it in there and just hope nobody else makes a, makes an error. But yeah, like you say, with, it, it, it has changed the face of my championship because when that happens to you, for example, Snedder, lap one, race one, and you've got no information for race two, you have a damaged bike that you don't know if it is put back together correctly, as happened in Thruxton race two. I, I was actually doing that whole race with my, my triple clamp slightly bent so the bike wouldn't turn right. So those crashes have, have a massive effect on your race two as well. So someone taking you down ruins your whole day essentially and if it wasn't for those two incidents I would be arriving to the showdown fight with a, more or less the same points as my teammate and with a proper fighting chance so yeah it is frustrating when when uh, other people's mistakes uh, you know have a, have a massive impact in your, your season and your championship but that is BSB and that's the beauty of it to be honest you know there's 10 to 15 riders that on the right day when they get the setup right they can fight for race wins so so um, it has its negatives when when you're in the in the mix and not quite um, not quite at the very front. It's a funny funny thing in BSB. If you're in that front row of the grid and you've got you know a, a tenth of a second advantage in your pocket, it's it, it, it's a completely different outlook. But when you're in that sixth to tenth position, it's such a scrap, such a fight. Um, you know, it, it's it's so much easier when you're at the very front. But unfortunately, that hasn't happened many times for us this season. Uh, it's been, I've been in that position in the past, and it's a lovely feeling to have. But at the moment, you know, really, Leon Haslam's the one with that. Jake Dixon's the one with that. So um, having having that extra bit, then you, you can ride with a lot more kind of structure and, and you can plan your races. But whenever you're, um, you're, you don't quite have that, that uh, extra tenth in your pocket, then you have to scrap and you have to fight for it every corner. And um, it's what makes BSB racing a great spectacle and puts on a great show for the fans. Very quickly before we go, Michael, do you expect us to see any leg dangling this weekend? Well, that's going to be an interesting one. It's been a, a huge topic over the last fortnight since since Cadwell. And you know, I, I come up on the side of Leon's defence because it's his natural riding style. I can see what he was doing there, trying to protect that that inside line, as you do when you're leading the race. You you pull over and make yourself wide. But then the fact that he sticks his leg out naturally, it's it's instinctive for him. To the fans watching, that looks like he's done it purely just to block Jake. But it, it is an instinct. It's it's second nature to him. He does it. As the bike leans slightly left, he puts his leg out and he puts it quite high at that point, and, it, and then that brings his bike back upright and helps him helps him stop the bike. So, you know, there, I don't believe there was any malice in it, and I can see that that uh, it upset Jake obviously. But you know, it's got everyone. It's a it's another talking point, kind of like when when the Rossi Marquez incident in Sepang. Everyone's got a different opinion on it, but from a from a racer's perspective, I I don't think Leon was out intentionally using his leg to block Jake. I just think it was it was a the circumstances just kind of it, it led led them to to that outcome and um, yeah it, it, I think I think Leon you know he he was he was just doing what he does every lap and just unfortunately uh, he was he was too much to the right hand side to allow Jake a, a clean pass. Nothing against Jake Dixon, but had that been Phil Reed on that RAF regular in his uh, Kawasaki, he would have gone over that foot, wouldn't he? <laughs> well, that's the other side of it. You know, I've had that circumstance uh, before racing Leon Haslam I think it was in a wet race at Alton Park and I was trying to go down the inside into the lodge or, and uh, he, he, as he put his leg out it was just yes. right, right where my front wheel wanted to be and I, my front wheel hit his ankle and he just immediately pulled his leg out of the way Either, <laughs> I bet he did uh, it, it might have been reflex or it might have been the, just the impact from my front wheel just, just actually brushed his leg aside but it, obviously it had no impact and didn't hurt him or anything I know a lot of the fans had said 
just right over his leg, but you'll break it type thing. But I don't think that would happen so much. But um, but yeah, you're right. I think Jake should have just should have just hit his hit his foot because you know I don't think it's a big problem. I think the the the, the bike, whether it was the front tire or the front of the motorbike, would have just nudged his leg aside. And um, yeah, I think we'll see a bit more of that in the future. I don't think it's a it's a big issue to to lay on. You know, that's his riding style, so he has to expect that some people may may hit his foot because it's in their path. I'm not sure the baby in the background agrees with you on that one, Michael. But is it something that just comes from your infancy, though? Is it just you know like walking into a dark room at home and you press the light switch because you know where it is, or are you actually saying to yourself, "I'm about to break for this corner." I'm going to stick my leg out. No, you've hit the nail on the head there. It is a, it's a complete subconscious thing. Something you'll have decided to try uh, originally when you've seen seen it happen in, in MotoGP and thought, I'll give this a go. That's what happened with me. I thought, right, I'll, I'll try this and see how it works. And it was something that I found a real benefit with on hard braking when the bike got unstable. It really helped helped the stability of the bike and it was a it was almost like a third wheel but you could also touch your foot down and just feel like you're stopping the bike a little, yeah, a little yeah. bit more it, it might be that might be all in your head but it does feel like you're you're it helps you on braking but the flip side of that is i never do it on my right leg i never put my right leg down because i like having my right foot covering the rear brake so i use it quite a lot so um but once i began doing that in moto gp it's something that now i do purely out of habit so I do it on hard braking and I think it works. It helps me to brake late, um, but I also do it when the bike's going from right to left and that's purely out of habit. I don't think it has a huge benefit there, but it's a it's a, it's a a habitual thing where my my subconscious just does it without me ever thinking about doing it. I just, just hit the brakes and that leg drops off. So it's <laughs> it's something that becomes second nature once, once, once you do it, do it freak, with enough frequency that um, you don't even think about it. Well, Michael, thank you very much indeed. There's been a lot of disappointment at Silverstone recently, but I guess the good news is this weekend, rain or shine, leg dangling or no leg dangling, we know we are going to get three British Superbike races at Silverstone. Yeah, we're going racing and that's the, that's the brilliant side of it. Um, BSB have been as, as dynamic as always and, and adjusted the, the, the track layer, the schedule, and uh, the fans will be treated to a great show, so I'm really looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, me too. Thank you very much indeed, Michael, and good luck. Thank you, Greg. Cheers. Thanks a lot to Michael Laverty. Thanks also to Alex Murley earlier on in the show. Good luck to him in Portimao. But in the meantime, let's focus all of our attention on the shorter national circuit at Silverstone. What do we reckon for lap times then? I'm going to predict a 53-second lap, but we'll see what happens this week. That's if it's dry, of course. If it rains, it's going to be another matter altogether. But all of the live coverage is on Eurosport and the Eurosport player as ever on Saturday and Sunday. Matt Roberts and all the team will be there. See you at Silverstone.